So slowing down the speed of renovation is something that happened and you don't always have control over it. But if you underwrite it as if there's no COVID and there's no shortage in material and delays in material and shortage of working hands, then you might have an unrealistic expectation and assumption as to the renovation speed. And that might impact the cash flow because it takes more time to turn a unit. And it's hard to take 300 units and renovate them within a year. Maybe you need 18 months now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from California. Today, I'm going to talk about why your passive investment may not perform top reasons and red flags. Well, I usually like to talk about positive things, but I think this one is really really important to know. Even if your investment is going well, you always want to pay attention to the red flags and not miss them. So I'm going to talk about the top four to five reasons of why your passive investment may not perform. Top reasons, you know, why that happens. We're going to analyze some of the availabilities out there of reasons. And we're going to also talk about what you can do if that happens as a passive investor. So just a bit of a background. My company, Blue Lake, owns about 3,000 units across the U.S., mainly Texas, Florida, Georgia. We're also looking into the Carolinas. And we own about $630 million in assets under management. And I've seen a lot throughout my career. And I have to say that it's been an interesting journey so far. It's a very, you know, the syndicators market is very small. So we all talk, we all share information and share experiences. And I hear a lot of stories. And so I wanted to share with you why some investments may not perform. And I'm mainly speaking to passive investors, meaning those who are basically writing a check could be 100K, can be half a million or $2 million and they invested as a portion of a bigger investment. So for instance, we closed on Waterstone Apartments. That was around $80 million purchase price, and we raised over $25 million. And each investor was basically, so, you know, invested. We had checks, you know, 100K, 50K, 
half a million, five million, depending on the investor. And of course, the sponsors invested several million dollars out of their own pocket. But this is basically how the world of syndication works. So basically, ideally, the sponsor puts some of the down payment and investors put the rest of it. And then the sponsor manages the assets. So these are the type of investments that I'm talking about, the syndicated deals. But some of the insights here can be useful, even if you're purchasing you know, a house or a small multifamily, a duplex, triplex, quad, maybe some of those things are going to be relevant to you as well. So even if you're not ready to invest in this indication, you may find this episode useful. All right. So let's get to the first reason, number one reason for why passive investment may not work. And the main reason is just too high of a price. Now you may heard that You make money on real estate when you buy, not when you sell. And it's really, really true. So, you know, basically, if you're buying at the wrong price, it's going to be hard for you to maintain a healthy cash flow because your debt payments, your mortgage, the payments of the lender, those payments are very high and that puts a lot of pressure on the assets cash flow. So you're not going to end up with a lot of money by the end of the month. And also when you're going to exit and sell the asset after three years, five years, 10 years, if you bought it at a high price, let's say you bought it at 5 million and after two years you want to sell it. But when you bought it, the market was four and a half million. It's going to be hard for you to make money on the back end when you sell because you just bought it at too high of a price. One red flag as a passive investor is a very, very low cap rate. Now, cap rates have compressed in the past, I would say five to seven years. So I'm not saying that you should buy only when the cap rate is high. In fact, that's a red flag that the asset may not be a good asset or may be, you know, in a bad area or location may not be the reason, but just the state in general as a general market is not very desirable. But when you're looking at cap rates, just make sure that this is market cap rate. So right now there are assets that are sold between three to 4% cap rates. If you see an asset at two and a half percent cap, that could be a red flag that the price is too high because this is not market. So cap rate just in short is the relationship between NOI net operating income, which is income minus expenses over the purchase price that will give you the cap rate. So that's the first reason the price is too high. Once you make that mistake, it's very hard to fix it unless you really push the NOI and then you can refinance after, let's say, 12, 18 months. And then you can basically improve the cash flow situation. Second reason is unrealistic sponsor expectations. This is something that I see a lot, which basically the management or the sponsors. They're too confident in their ability to increase income, for instance. So sometimes you'll see deals with very, very high premiums, could be $500, $600 premiums for renovated units. So premiums is basically the delta between the old rent and the new rent after you're done renovating the units, or the sponsor believes that the rents are under market and they want to push rents bring them to market because competition is charging, let's say $200 more. So they're going to push all rents by $200 without investing in the units, just because the rents are under market. Now it could be true, 
but sometimes it's just unrealistic. Sometimes there's a lot of new product in the immediate environment surrounding that is actually competing with your asset. And so even if there's a building across the street that is brand new and the delta between your rents and their rents is $600 or $500, sometimes they compete and they cut their rents. So tenants will prefer to go to the newer building and not to yours. And so if the rent increase is not very realistic, then that could be an issue of why there's not enough cash flow because not enough tenants are willing to pay the rents. Another reason, you know, or another way of unrealistic expectations when buying an asset is to look at the renovation speed in a very aggressive way. I can share with you that before COVID, it was easier to renovate 17, 20, 30 units a month. During COVID, things have slowed down because the general managers, the general contractors, they don't have access to employees as much. Many people just prefer to stay home and collect their unemployment checks. The materials are late to arrive and there's an increase in the cost as well. So slowing down the speed of renovation is something that happened and you don't always have control over it. But if you underwrite it as if there's no COVID and there's no shortage in material and delays in material and shortage of working hands, then you might have an unrealistic expectation and assumption as to the renovation speed. And that might impact the cash flow because it takes more time to turn a unit. And it's hard to take 300 units and renovate them within a year. Maybe you need 18 months now. So this is another way of, you know, just bear in mind, this is another way of how basically sponsors can manage an asset and have unrealistic expectations. And sometimes sponsors, you know, they're trying to cut costs significantly to increase cash flow, but it can hurt the asset. So if the sponsor is trying to cut, for instance, the budget when it comes to tenant depreciation events, that might hurt the morale of the team and the tenants, and that can increase the turnover and decrease the occupancy. So they might be saving a few bucks here, but they're going to hurt cash flow a lot more. So you know, making sure that you know the sponsor has a long-term outlook on the property and not just how much they can cut today, that's very important to do. So the number one red flag when it comes to identifying whether the sponsors have an unrealistic or aggressive expectations is to look at the year one NOI and to compare it to the current operations. And you don't need to be, you know, a CPA or an underwriting to do that. Basically, before you invest as a passive investor, you get the investor package, you get the deal package, and there's Performa, which basically outlines what the sponsor is expecting in terms of income, expenses, and net operating income, NOI, every year. And if the current operations is not there, ask the sponsor to provide it to you and then compare. And you don't have to be you know, a genius to realize that a 35% increase in NOI between the current operations and year one that's very, very hard to do if we're talking about a multifamily asset that is, you know, occupied. I'm not talking about a lease up. So if this number, that's the one calculation that I would ask you to do as a passive investor, if this number does not make sense, 
got to go back to the sponsor. That's a red flag and say, hey, how come there's 25, 35% increase? That's a very aggressive number. Are you sure that you can increase NOI by 25% in a year? And what steps are you going to take? So understanding the answer to that will basically tell you whether there's unrealistic or very aggressive expectations when it comes to the performance of the asset. The third reason of why your investment may not perform is that the sponsor is not committed anymore. And unfortunately, I've seen it happening in the market where sponsors, you know, they're very excited about a deal, they raise money, but if they have, they're on multiple deals or multiple ventures or businesses or ideas, sometimes they're not focused on the asset management. In my opinion, a good sponsor is a hands-on sponsor, a sponsor that is laser-focused on this top priority, which is provide the cash flow to investors on time and preferably slightly above what was expected. So if the sponsor doesn't have the right team in place, you know, many times I see sponsors that, you know, they're the managers and they do everything. That's going to be pretty challenging. You want to have someone extremely experienced running those assets and you want to make sure that the sponsor is focused on managing the assets, managing this investment for you. So what are some red flags that the sponsor is not committed anymore? If communications is scarce. So if you used to get monthly or quarterly updates and all of a sudden they're gone, you know, that's obviously a red flag. Or if the sponsor is not investing their own money in the deals, that's also a red flag that they may not be as committed because I can tell you that if someone is investing 100K or half a million, 50,000 out of their own money, they're very incentivized to make sure that they stay close to the asset and that they're going to make sure that the asset is performed because their money is also on the line here. And, you know, my approach has always been to not be the smartest person in a room. I always like to find smarter and more experienced people than me, bring them on board, hire them so they're going to help manage the assets. And as a sponsor and operator, we're very, very hands-on. And that's the one thing that can really help assets perform. You stay committed when you have the right people in place with the right experience and when you're very hands-on. You don't just let the property manager do whatever they want and decide how much to pay investors, which also I've seen happen, or just decide what's the marketing strategy, how much to charge, and you know what finishes to choose for the unit renovation. You need to be very hands-on and manage them very, very closely. So that's the third reason why your investment may not perform is if the sponsor is not committed anymore. The fourth reason is unexpected turns. And I have to say that this one is a hard one because in my nature, I do feel that you are responsible and or have, I would say, you do have a say and an impact on most of the things that happen to you in life. Not all of them, but most of them. And many things that others accept as, hey, this is the market. This is not us. It is what it is. When I hear those terms, I know immediately that this person is not someone that I want to have on my team because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that it is what it is. I don't believe that this is the market. What can we do? There's always something you can do. You got to think outside of the box. You got to push the team. You got to push yourself. 
and you will find nine out of 10 times, you will find a way to go, you know, over a hurdle that the entire market is dealing with, but you found a way to deal with it and you found a way to perform and to pay your investors because you were quicker, you were smarter, you know, you were more motivated and you didn't say, Hey, it is what it is. It's the market, the market is this way, you know, hi, let's say, you know, there's evictions everywhere. So collections are down, but that's the market. There's nothing we can do. No, there's always something you can do. So having said that, there's still some things that are, you know, unknowns and some things that sometimes sponsors may be surprised buy when they buy an asset, which impacts the performance of the investment. So some of it is, you know, the number of non-paying tenants and unaccounted deferred maintenance. So when sometimes you buy an asset, you don't want to be in a position where you all of a sudden discover that you have a much higher number of non-paying tenants, or all of a sudden you have an issue with the roof that will cost you half a million dollars and you are not ready and you don't have reserves for that. Of course, the experienced sponsors, they do a thorough due diligence. They look at the financials. They will know how many tenants are paying or not. They'll have their CM team, so construction management team, walk the property, walk the units, and they'll have a very, very good and detailed list of all the deferred maintenance items. But if this is not being done correctly, that's another reason why investments are not going to work. And it's unexpected to some sponsors and it should be very much expected to others. And then the, the question is, should they move forward with the sale or not? But that's one thing to keep in mind. And sometimes the property management company is just not strong enough. They can be burnt out. Sometimes the regional manager is quitting and then there's a new regional manager that is not that strong. So normally what happens with property managers, you have a team that is inside and a team that is outside. So for instance, we have an asset with 10 employees, five are leasing, working on leasing, they're sitting in the office. So it could be a leasing manager, an assistant manager, a marketing person, and a couple more that are, you know, all five are basically engaged in making sure that tenants are coming to see the asset, their new leases, and, you know, take care of all kinds of complaints and hold tenant appreciation events and make sure the occupancy and collections are high. The other five are, you know, the technicians, the old people that are doing basically the maintenance at the property. And this is the team that those 10 people are managed by the property manager. And then the property manager is managed by a regional manager that is basically moving between different assets every few days. And they have normally six to eight assets and they work directly with the property managers in every asset. And so sometimes when that person, which is key, because they're doing the hiring, they're motivating the team, they're managing the team, and we are managing the regionals. The asset manager is managing the regionals. So the regionals, they're the ones who basically, they have a lot of impact on how the property is performing. And so if they're not strong enough, that's a problem. So as asset managers, what we can do, we can ask to work with a different one, or we can hire another company if we don't like 
the regionals that they are working with. But a red flag would be if you're investing in a deal and the property management company is new to the sponsor. They haven't worked with them before. It might work and it might not. I mean, of course, every property manager we've ever worked with, there was that one deal that they were the first ones to manage for us. And sometimes it worked out great and sometimes it didn't. But that is something that can be, you know, an unexpected turn when it comes to asset performance. So these basically are what we went through, the four reasons why your passive investment may not perform. First reason is the price is too high, puts a lot of pressure on the cash flow. Second reason, unrealistic sponsor expectations around premiums, renovation speed, or cutting costs that are not very helpful in the long term. The third reason is that the sponsor is not committed anymore, not committed enough to managing the deal. And the fourth one is unexpected turns. So what do you do? I would say as a passive investor, be proactive, ask the sponsor questions. You know, you're entitled to ask for monthly updates, for financials. So if you think that something is going on, ask for financials on a monthly basis. Many sponsors are not going to like it if they're listening to me right now because it's more work for them, but investors have the right to do it. They're part owners of the asset. You know, obviously it could be a one-off. The fact that one investment is not working, it doesn't mean that the sponsor is not experienced enough or that you shouldn't be working with them because you can't always win on each and every deal. Statistically, you can't. That's the whole point of the risk reward you know, theory, you can't win at every deal. There's, if there's no risk, there's no reward. You're getting paid every month as an investor because you're willing to take the risk that something may go wrong. But if you choose wisely, if you do your due diligence on a sponsor and you go with your gut and you invest with someone that you like and you trust, you can avoid those pitfalls and hopefully, you know, avoid them for years. But statistically speaking, there will be that one or two assets that are not going to do that well. And I hope that this brought some value to you that you've kind of learned a little bit of what are the red flags of why your investment may not work and what to do when that happens. That's it for today, guys. Be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.